This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Part two of the story certainly doesn't get any better. Renowned pieces of shit Fred and Rosemary West continue their physical, sexual, and emotional abuse of their children, mixed in with some murders, both random and premeditated. Today we'll tell those stories, and look at what led these two monsters to finally meeting their justice. We'll discuss the investigations, the court proceedings, and the final outcome of two of the most despicable people we've ever covered on this show. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought last week was tough to listen to, stick around. This week is going to be harder than Mike at a NASCAR race with Britney Spears on his lap. This is Necronomapod. Gloucester police have called another press conference in the morning. It's thought that could signal yet another body has been found at number 25 Cromwell Street. The seventh has already been discovered, and police say the search will go on. They are planning to dig in a field near the Hertfordshire border, at a caravan site, and at another house in Gloucester. They believe the number of bodies could go well into double figures. We've looked in four of the areas that it told us to look in, and we've found four bodies. It now indicates some more areas that we should search, and we will be doing that. That's it for now. I'll be back later with a news update. Dave, it's funny you actually bring that up and say that because, first of all, um, as we're recording, happy birthday to Miss Britney Jean Spears. 39 <laughs> years young, doesn't look a day over 21. <laughs> I don't know about that, man. I looked at her Instagram. She looks like she... She looks, uh, she looks darling. She looks like she's been up for a long time, crying, maybe. Well, yeah, she's has, being... She has some, like, her makeup looks like it's about a week old. She's being fucking medicated by her dad. To keep her in that wacky state mm. so he can control her life. Let, let, let's be honest. She looks like she was rode hard and put away wet, dude. Come on. I think she looks <laughs> stunning. She is still the sexiest celebrity oh, of all time. Sake. 100% the greatest of all time. I don't know who that new guy she has with her is, but whatever. I'm in better shape than him. Oh, she has a boyfriend? I think, but the dude's got like a 49 pack. Like, it's ridiculous. He's just disgustingly in shape. Mm. And here I am uh, uh, transitioning to our next topic, which is, of course, the return of the McRib, which is we all got excited <laughs> about. <laughs> you know, speaking of being in great shape. <laughs> Dave, you actually texted us about this. You were the most hype. I said we should get a couple and eat them uh, to start the show today. But uh, apparently you went out and got some, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that what is it the asmr videos where like you listen to people eating or whatever and it's just our three fat asses eating mcribs like <laughs> getting fucking sauce all over our hands and our notes and our computers i feel like it's hit or miss with the mcrib because it, it changes slightly every time they bring it back like way back in the old days the original version was really good and then they came back and it was not quite as good in my opinion 
did it did it like actually debut like was it like in the 80s where it came out or was it like the 90s like when they first actually did it and then because then it like went away for like 20 years right yeah a long time yeah yeah late uh, late I've 80s never... maybe i remember oh actually yeah. i looked it up 1982 oh shit yeah, that was way earlier than i thought wow yeah i've never like they've always been good but i don't go crazy about them i don't love them yeah they're not great um they're they good. used to like in grade go ahead what are you gonna say I would say they're good. They're not great. Oh, yeah. They um in grade school, like you know, some of like the hot lunches we would have would be like a rib sandwich or something. Mm -hmm. And I actually thought those were better than the McDonald's one. That's saying something. Um yeah. Although the McDonald's, you know, they put the pickles and onions on it. I don't like the onions, but the pickles are are good on it. Right. We didn't have that back in the day. Is that our Catholic school lunch cafeteria you're talking about? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> good Catholic schoolboy went for twelve years. Uh, I yeah, was me, always me too. Me too. <laughs> Mike and I went to I the same high school. That's right. <laughs> Fifteen That's years true. apart. <laughs> also true. <laughs> we did have some of the same teachers, though. I think they're That's still true. there today. That's true. I was always a lunch buyer. Like I never brown bagged it. I was always buying my lunch at the school, like grade school and high school. Yeah, yeah, me too. The only time I brought my lunch was on Fridays in Lent so I could bring a ham sandwich and upset people. <laughs> and just eye the nuns down yep. as you ate it. Hundred percent. I think was I think it was in high school though, during Lent. Do you remember them having amazing grilled cheese sandwiches, Dave? Or am I just making that up? Mm, that I feel like they had well. I feel like they had really good grilled cheese, so like I didn't mind it. Mm. That's but I don't possible. Remember. Yeah, I don't know. Ian, what you, what are your thoughts? You've been quiet on the McRib. Not a fan. Uh, I mean, it's all right. I don't. I'm. I don't get super hyped about it when it comes back or anything. But I mean, they're good. It doesn't make them we, wet like a Wendy's triple. Come I mean, let's. Yeah. I was just gonna say it's no Wendy's triple. <laughs> no. My my high school had rib sandwiches too. Mm. They're all right. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, um, I don't remember having them in high school, but. I, I, they they might have I just don't recall, but I liked them. So I got hot ham and cheese for literally all four years oh, of high school. I never I I never got a different lunch for four years in high school. Really? I I don't I just ate the same thing every day. So explain to me about what your hot ham and cheese was, because in grade school our hot ham and cheese was literally like spam with cheese on a roll. Like it was like a chunk of ham. Like very, uh, it was like, it was spam. No, this was like, like ham lunch meat on a, okay. like a sub roll or a sub bun kind of. Yeah. With cheese melted on it and then fries. That sounds and good. And my I mom always gave me money for, uh, for like a cookie. Like they had these cookies for, I don't, I don't remember how much they were, but she gave me money, extra money for that. And I would just pocket it. And by the end of the week, I could buy cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> well, go. yeah, we know how you are. Other people would be eating cookies and you just go up to them like, what the fuck are you eating? Give yeah. it to me. I was and then say, you take their yeah. cookie. He's anti-cookie way back then. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. he would take their cookie though and eat it himself. <laughs> and then he'd pocket the money and then he'd go get his ciggies on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. That started in seventh grade. I started pocketing the money and buying <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> oh my God. I'm yeah, such a fucking prude. I did not smoke nor touch alcohol until I was 18 and away at college. You guys would have both kicked the shit out of me in high school. <laughs> I just would have been 
encouraged you to do bad things maybe that's probably true like we would have gotten yep. a lot we would have talked about Shawn michaels tights and just you'd have been like here hit this and i'd be smoking cigarettes with you pretty much talking about i think fucking I, sean's trunks i think i found my love of beer when i was seven years old man <laughs> i mean i've had i had sips like as a kid yeah but i didn't drink no it was not, i didn't i don't know i didn't do it I, I don't mean i was drinking when i was seven but that first time you had a sip of beer i'm like oh this is awesome i'm gonna be around here for a little while I feel like most kids don't feel that way, though, yeah. Dave. They take a sip, and they're like, this is fucking gross. Not me. Oh, man. Yeah, you know I don't what? I don't know what happened to me, but sixth grade was like normal kid, and then seventh grade shit flipped, and I was smoking cigarettes and <laughs> doing whatever the fuck I wanted, pretty much. <laughs> he got those knuckle tattoos in, like when he was 12, I think. That's, yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Thug life right across his nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I came across something interesting. Oh. I was looking at our download distribution, and the country with the fifth most downloads for this show is Iran. Interesting. Very interesting. So, uh, uh, assalamu alaikum, my, my, my Persian <laughs> brothers over there. Thanks for listening <laughs> to the show. It's things you'd never would have guessed. Yeah, how about that? We're going to have to learn yeah. Farsi so we can do a show in, uh, in Iran. Iran. Well, you guys have to learn it. I'll just, I'm ready to go. Oh, well, you, <laughs> let, me know, let, let me know when you guys got it down. We'll do a show. So I think that's about all the fun we're going to have today. Because uh, now we got to get back to these sadistic fuckos and uh, tell this story. Part one was not the most pleasant thing we've ever discussed. It, it wasn't great. Before we get started, I have a question for Ian. I, you, I saw you got called out on your pronunciation of some of these towns. Are you going to correct that? Uh pronunciation tonight i'm gonna try my best <laughs> but i'm not gonna go back if i say it wrong i'm not going back and editing so hell yeah <laughs> one take ian that's what we call him so fair enough which is i guess the joke's actually funnier if people knew sometimes how you get tripped up on words and it takes you like 14 times to get it right yeah not often but occasionally so we so had someone say that they, uh, someone suggested on the Facebook group that we should do an outtake uh, show someday with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> you could do a whole episode of me stumbling over words and stopping and saying, God damn it, hitting a, <laughs> taking a big hit off my vape. That's being true. All frustrated. <laughs> and then the rest of the outtakes are just stuff too inappropriate for us to post, which is why we don't fucking put them in the show. Very true. That is also Or me true. saying, me saying, uh, I'm going to go pee. And you guys like, <laughs> like audibly rolling your eyes as I get up and go pee. It's about that time right now, isn't it? If we keep running on like this, it will be. We better jump in. So before we jump in real quick, I, I just wanted to clarify, because I know there was so many names in the last part. At this point, we're going to start talking a lot more about their kids, Fred and Rosemary's kids. Altogether, they had like 11 kids, right? Yeah, something like that. They had a lot of a lot of children. Okay, yeah. And like the main ones I think we'll talk about today, uh, Anna Marie, Heather, May, Stephen, um, were like the four of the oldest, oldest ones, I believe, correct? At least. Right. And they all weren't, they're all not biological right, brothers right. and sisters yeah, and so stuff because Rose was having kids with, you know, being a prostitute with, so a lot of these kids sure. don't know who their dads are. Like, it's just all over the place. Right. Okay. Take it away. 
In September 1972, Fred and Rose led their daughter, Anna Marie, who was eight years old at the time, to the basement at 25 Cromwell Street, where she was ordered to undress with Rose tearing her dress from her body after Anna Marie hesitated. She was then tied to a mattress, gagged and raped by Fred while Rose encouraged what was happening. After the rape, Rose followed Anna Marie to the bedroom, handed her towel, and then explained to the child, quote, Everybody does it to every girl. It's a father's job. Don't worry and don't say anything to anybody. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, we've said before, this is the worst show we've ever done, but that may be the worst couple of paragraphs we've read. Yeah, I said last week it was going to get worse and just the first couple of sentences. Yeah, and we have said it before. And, I, you know, everyone's got different opinions on what they might consider the worst. These people quickly rose to like the top of my list. They're, they're, they've got to easily be in the top three worst stories, at least in my opinion, yeah, we've ever covered, or at least the most difficult for me to, to read about. You know, some people might say they're not as bad as someone else. And, you know, I wouldn't blame them for that. Everyone's got their own taste of, you know, and degrees of what they, you know, think they can get through and what's awful. But yeah, the, these people suck. Fred and Rose threatened Anna Marie with severe beatings if they ever received word that she had told anybody about the sexual abuse. Rose occasionally sexually abused Anna Marie herself and later took extreme pleasure in having her do degrading things like binding Anna Marie to various items of furniture and encouraging Fred to rape her and forcing her to perform household chores while wearing bondage devices and a mini skirt. Now we're talking a biological child here. This is both of their, their yeah. this is their child. Eight years old. Correct. Mm. From the age of 13, Fred and Rose forced Anna Marie to prostitute herself within the household, with her clients being told Anna Marie was 16. Like, that's any better. Mm. (laughs) Right. Um, Rose was always present in the room when this was going on to make sure Anna Marie did not tell clients her real age. It's just astounding sitting there watching. Mm. In October 1972, the West hired 17-year-old Carolyn Owens as their children's nanny. They had picked her up one night on a secluded country road as she was hitchhiking home from visiting her boyfriend. Learning that Carolyn disliked her stepfather and was looking for a job, the West offered her a part-time job as a nanny to the three youngest children in their household with a promise she would be driven home each Tuesday. Several days later, Carolyn moved into 25 Cromwell Street sharing a room with Anna Marie. Rose told Carolyn that she worked as a masseuse to explain the steady stream of men that were visiting the house. According to Carolyn, Fred also said he was a skilled abortionist who would be able should she ever need such a service. Fred also told her that he was so good at performing abortions that women often repaid him with sex. (laughs) This guy, skilled abortionist. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. I guess Fred's just handing out abortions and... Get the thing that got the woman in, <laughs> and the thing that got someone in the situation in the first place, they repay him with. I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that what women are thinking about after they have an abortion, having sex with Fred? I guess so. <laughs> well, he's such a good-looking guy. Oh, man. Not. <laughs> after Fred started to make sexual advances towards Carolyn, she left the West house and quit the nanny job. Knowing that Carolyn had a habit of hitchhiking, the West came up with a plan to abduct her. Fred later admitted the intention was to rape and probably murder Carolyn, but that his initial incentive was to determine whether Rose would be willing to at least assist him in kidnapping someone. Well, I think it's safe to say that if, you know, she watches you rape your daughter, not much is off the table for her, I would guess. Yeah, 
I'm guessing she'll be okay with this. Pretty uh, loose morals here. On December 6, 1972, the West lured Carolyn into their vehicle with an apology for Fred's sexual advances and offered her a ride home. Initially, Carolyn believed that the West had been sincere in their apologies, and she agreed. Rose got in the back seat with her and said she wanted a, quote, girls chat as Fred drove. Shortly after, Rose began to grope her as Fred asked whether she had sex with her boyfriend that evening. When Carolyn began to resist, Fred stopped the car and punched Carolyn into unconsciousness before he and Rose bound and gagged her with a scarf and duct tape. In a later statement to police, Carolyn stated that at 25 Cromwell Street, she was given a drugged cup of tea to drink, then again gagged and subjected to a prolonged sexual assault from Fred and Rose. At one stage, Fred said that Carolyn's clitoris was unusual and then hit her genitals with a leather belt. What what the fuck? This guy... When Carolyn screamed, Rose again smothered her with a pillow, tightened the restraints on her neck, and performed oral sex on her. Carolyn quickly realized that what this could turn into, like, she could easily be killed in this situation. Yeah, I would agree. So, so she stopped resisting Fred and Rose in hopes that she could eventually escape. Smart move. The following morning, Fred threatened Carolyn that if she screamed anymore, he and his wife would keep her locked up in the basement and would allow his, quote, black friends to abuse her and then when they had finished he would bury her body beneath the quote paving stones of gloucester you know you sure that's not pronounced gloucester <laughs> how's it pronounced it's glo it's glochester <laughs> final answer <laughs> I, I believe it's gloucester and the guy gloucester? the guy was ripping you for your adding a w and they're making it gloucester Uh Hey, dumbass, it's Glowchester. (laughs) Glowchester. That's how we say it in Talladega. (laughs) So after this threat, Fred then claimed he had killed hundreds of young girls, adding that Carolyn had been brought to the house for, quote, Rose's pleasure. He and Rose then calmly asked Carolyn whether she would consider returning to work as their nanny, which is complete. I I don't even understand that. Yeah, let me get the vacuum cleaner out and start getting to work. Sure. It's so mind boggling that they would even ask this. Seeing her opportunity to escape, Carolyn agreed and got to work vacuuming the house. Later that day, Carolyn escaped from a laundromat she and Rose had entered and returned home. So on top of just asking her that that she's would she like to work as their nanny, Rose takes her out to a public laundromat to do laundry with her. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, what? They're not the brightest. No. Initially, she was too ashamed to tell her mother what had happened. But when Carolyn's mother saw the welts and bruises on her daughter's body, Carolyn burst into tears and told her what had happened. So can you imagine like like what we talked about earlier when she was in the back of the car and like they knocked her out and then they were fondling her and groping her and raping her. But like. You know, which would obviously be a horrible situation. And but she had the the frame of mind to think, well, if I stop resisting, maybe they won't kill me and I'll have a chance to escape. And then a little while later, she actually is able to escape. It's just crazy how like your mind can think of something like that, even in a situation where you want want to obviously just defend yourself and get the hell out of there or try to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, that she was able to, you know, to to kind of somewhat think ahead and be like well if i just go with this maybe they'll loosen up and i can get myself free and then it happens yeah i mean look how close she came and just you know never leaving that house and becoming another one of these victims right and and i guess my point is and i don't know if i 
was stating it properly. Like you're, you're being raped and, but you're able to like put yourself in a frame of mind of, okay, how can I long-term get out of this? As opposed to just thinking about how the fuck do I get out of this situation right now? Yeah. Clear thinking in a stressful situation. Right. And probably she saved her own life, probably, because if she would have kept fighting, you know, these fucks would have just killed Absolutely. her. Carolyn's mother immediately reported what happened to the police, and the Wests were arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual bodily harm, and rape. The case was tried at the Gloucester Magistrates Court on January 12, 1973, but by this date, Carolyn had decided she could not face the Wests in court. All charges regarding her sexual abuse were dropped, and the West agreed to plead guilty to the reduced charges of indecent assault and causing actual bodily harm. They were each fined 50 pounds, and the couple were allowed to walk free from court. And another one of these what-if situations here. Yeah, I don't blame her for not testifying, because I think you said it last week, Dave, or uh, some episode recently. Like, What happens if they don't go to jail for this? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So well, I mean, this would have been that this would have been the end of the story, probably. Yeah. But I mean, you know, unless you've been in that situation before where you've been assaulted and raped, you don't know what that mindset's like. And, you know, you can't fault them for making whatever decisions they make here. That's just such a traumatic yeah, experience. Well, I think what this taught them was that they couldn't leave people alive to go be a potential witness for something moving forward i think that's what they learned in this situation because three months after the west's assault trial they committed their first known murder as a couple the victim was a 19 year old named linda gow with who fred and rose became acquainted through a mail lodger in early 1973 linda regularly visited 25 cromwell street and had relationships with two mail lodgers who stayed there often on april 19th she moved into the residence and on or about april 20th other tenants were told that she had been told to leave the household after she had hit one of the west children this story was repeated to linda's mother when she contacted the west about her daughter's whereabouts and boldly rose had been wearing linda's clothes when she told linda's mother this story wow that takes some balls mike what else happened on april 20th in history a lot of stuff happened okay um, let's move on it's a good answer <laughs> I think that is an appropriate answer. Um, that was was that Columbine? It was that, that that's one it, of them. And yeah. it was it was Hitler's birthday. That's true. Outstanding work, fella. What else was there? Something else? You just smoke a lot of weed, day. But other than that, I don't oh, know. okay. Well, fuck yeah. Make sure we leave all this in. Then it shows I'm right. I thought I thought there was something else that I was missing, and no, I was like, wait, was he's, he's testing me. I thought we talked about Hitler's birthday in a couple of shows back, so I just thought I'd see if you remembered. I, I just always knew that because of of Columbine. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's right. all like the conspiracies and the connections. Yeah, That's right. you know, and then and then all of you you. Uh, drug users smoke all of your marijuana <laughs> well it was actually the oklahoma city too right was that the 20th or like the 19th or was it the 19th oh okay i'm on a roll right now guys <laughs> why couldn't tonight be a trivia show for patreon get someone on the phone to play you <laughs> no more questions tonight because i'm on a roll and i want to end on that streak so please no more trivia tonight dave <laughs> okay fair enough <laughs> It isn't known how long Linda was sexually abused and tortured, but what is known is that her head was completely wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape with two small tubes inserted into her nose to allow her to breathe. 
She was also suspended from the ceiling with cut pieces of knotted fabric. This was something Fred specifically built by carving holes into the wooden beams supporting the basement ceiling. Finally, she was either strangled or suffocated to death, dismembered, and buried underneath the garage. Again, missing fingers, toes, and kneecaps. More kneecaps. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about the tape thing that really, I don't know. It's tough to even think about. Because we're talking a lot of tape. We're not talking just like one layer of tape around someone's mouth. We're talking like almost the whole head covered mm. in multiple rounds of tape. Just that's terrifying. So oh my God. You can't even imagine. Five further victims were murdered and buried in the basement at 25 Cromwell Street between November 1973 and April 1975. The first of these victims, 15-year-old Carol Ann Cooper, was abducted on November 10, 1973. Carol Ann lived in the Pines Children's Home in Worcester and was kidnapped after spending the evening at the movies with her boyfriend. She had been waiting for a bus when she vanished and was likely dragged into Fred's car, where her face was bound with surgical tape and her arms bound with torn cloth before she was driven to the West house. Back at the house, Carol Ann was suspended from the wooden beams from the basement ceiling before her torture and murder. As had been the case with Linda, Carol Ann died from strangulation or asphyxiation before her body was dismembered and buried in a shallow grave in the basement. So did authorities, you know, recognize or, or flag this as, you know, a pattern of abductions or reckon put these together at all at this time? A lot of this, like this, this girl was from a children's home. Um, the West, they targeted people that typically wouldn't be missed a lot of times. Another common thread, huh? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of hitchhikers. Well, and, and, but the actual bodies though, they weren't found till after the West confessed, correct? Right. Yeah. So, so they couldn't make the connection based on discovering the bodies. Just based on a pattern of abductions of similar. Oh, okay. I see what you, I thought you were talking about like just the way, the way they found their bodies, like, you know tortured and strangled and also ian i believe it's worcester so you're gonna catch a lot of heat for the worcester uh god damn it <laughs> look look it's worcester just like i like my worcester sauce on my food god damn it whatever <laughs> no it's better leaving it in it's funny i'll take i the actually heat. think it's worcester <laughs> styling and profiling <laughs> On December 27, 1973, 21-year-old Lucy Partlington was abducted from a bus stop near Exeter University. Evidence showed that she was quite possibly kept alive and tortured for a week after being kidnapped by the Wests. Fred admitted himself to the hospital on January 3, 1974 for a serious cut on his hand that's thought to be from an accident while dismembering Lucy's body. And he all, they, they believe that she was possibly kept alive for a week because... He dismembered the bodies almost immediately after. It's not like they just left bodies hanging around, you know? Oh, there's so many people in that house. It would have been hard to, you know? You can't leave a corpse right. laying around. Through 1974, they had two more victims. On April 16, 1974, 21-year-old Teresa Siegenthaler. On November 15, 1974, 15-year-old Shirley Hubbard. And then on April 12, 1975, 18-year-old Juanita Mott. Following the murder of Juanita Mott in April of 1975, Fred concreted over the floor of the entire basement. 
He later converted this section of the house into a bedroom for his oldest children, and he and Rose were not known to have committed any further murders until May 1978, when Fred, either with or without Rose's participation, but certainly with her knowledge, murdered an 18-year-old lodger named Shirley Robinson. Shirley had previously stayed with the Wests in April 1977 and was in the last stages of being pregnant at the time of her murder. Now, Rose was pregnant at this time and was initially bragging to people that the child Shirley was carrying was Fred's. So Fred had both of them pregnant at mm. the time. But Rose soon developed a deep resentment of Shirley and the motive for her murder is likely due to have been Rose's jealousy. Ian, you think your wife would brag about it to her friends if you uh, got an 18-year-old girl pregnant? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't think so either. <laughs> would end in his demise, not anyone else's demise. Yeah. Her body was buried in the garden, and it was extensively dismembered, but no restraining devices were found with her remains, making investigators think that sexual motive was was not likely in this situation because all the other remains when we get into them later on were found with the tape bindings things like that she had nothing with her the unborn baby had been removed and had several bones missing shortly after rose unsuccessfully submitted a claim for financial aid in shirley's name with the gloucester social services and this was like financial aid for like maternity stuff. Like she tried to say that she was Shirley and because she had a baby, she wanted money. The balls on these aid. people, you know? Yeah. If I'm hacking up people at my house, maybe I'm not going to commit, you know, welfare fraud. I'm just going to lay low and not bring attention to myself. Well, isn't this like what they all do? Like they're just confidence grows and grows yeah. and they just feel like invincible. Yeah, that's right. When you get away with all this shit. You're like, I can fucking we, slice people up in my basement. No one's going to catch me for uh, welfare fraud. Right. right? Exactly. You, you know, you're raping and killing and hacking people up. This is just, you know, paperwork. No one's mm. going to do anything about this. I'm smarter than all of them. Right. As had earlier been the case with other victims, Fred and Rose told anyone who asked about Shirley's whereabouts that she had relocated to live with her father in West Germany. For, for people from uh, the, the youngsters, Germany used to be divided into West Germany and East Germany. It is now one country again. We can continue now. Thank, thanks, Professor Dave. <laughs> I just hear some of our fans in Mississippi going, well, it was a West, West Germany. What's that? <laughs> what? Dave, they're not listening in Mississippi. There's no cell phones or internet. <laughs> Silly Dave. <clears throat> The final murder Fred and Rose are known to have committed with a definite sexual motive occurred on August 5th, 1979. The victim was 16-year-old Allison Chambers, who had run away from a local children's home to become the West live-in nanny in the middle of 1979. Allison is believed to have lived within their household for several weeks before her murder, and Rose promised Allison she could live at a rural, quote, peaceful farm she claimed she and Fred owned. Her body was also buried in the garden area close to the bathroom wall, and although Allison was likely dismembered, her skeleton was not marked by cut marks like earlier victims' bodies had been. In an attempt to calm any concerns from Allison's family who knew that she had taken the job with the Wests, Fred and Rose later sent a letter written by Allison to her mother prior to her murder from a Northamptonshire post box. Mm. So well, now they're going to, to some lengths to try to cover themselves. A little more than just telling people, oh, yeah, she moved. 
Yeah, right. So this is the last murder like this. Do, do we know if something went wrong? Do they f- like were they almost caught or any explainable reason for why they stopped? These are the bodies that police would find when we get into them getting caught. Mm-hmm. It's believed that they started taking bodies elsewhere away from the property. Mm. People like this don't stop yeah. abruptly like that, you know? Well, and I think that makes sense based on what we're going to talk about. Like they, they, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later. So I don't want to jump ahead, but yeah, it makes sense based on, you know, kind of how all, uh, the, uh, the story unfolds that, you know, they would only maybe find in uh, authorities would only find the bodies that were kind of there at the house. Or, or do they fill up the whole garden with bodies? I mean, we're talking about an urban area, aren't we? It's not that big of a, you know, we say garden, but it's not that big of an area. At some point, you're going to get full. Yeah, sure. And I think that's what ha- that's what happened with the basement because he had, he had buried five victims in the basement and ran out of room. Mm. So, yeah. And Fred, you know, would later claim to I think it was either in the fifties or hundreds of people, but the serial killers always inflate their uh, yeah their body count a lot of times. But I'm I'm sure that there's more than this. I I don't think that they would just up and stop doing this one day. Yeah. You know who else inflates their body count? College money. Who's that? College money. <laughs> That's no, I I, I under inflate uh, <laughs> my count just to people don't think, you know, that I that's that all I did was, you know, bang chicks. I did go to class every now and then. So, so you like cut it by a don't by it to a third or something because people it's just not a believable total people are like well you, you must have been fucking for 24 hours a day 365 days a year to achieve <laughs> that know, number it was like 18 hours a day for nine months a year because i did go home for the summer oh, you know on christmas right. so but you know when they're they're lining up you gotta you what are you gonna do say no yeah. you don't say no they used to call me he doesn't say no mike back in college <laughs> everyone there you everyone go. gets a ride near the end of my time I instituted like one of those um, line pass tickets that you can get like at Disney World mm-hmm. or Cedar Point, you know, where you can come grab a ticket and like, or like you can pick up a ticket, you skip the line, you pick up a ticket for like four o'clock. So when four o'clock rolls around, you come right to the front of the line, everyone else still has to wait. Didn't those other so, girls get pissed? They're like, I haven't wait. I've been waiting here for two hours. They could have paid and gotten one of those tickets. Oh, they but- pay for it. Well, of course. Oh, okay. I mean, well, if you did it that way, then everyone would just be coming up to get those. You no, got to pay. That's a good point. So what are you going to do? Um, I guess you're going to pay. You know, college. We're all kids. It happens. <laughs> good times. At this point, Heather and Mae West became the focus of Fred's sexual abuse after Anna Marie ran away from home in 1979. After suffering a particularly severe beating from Rose to her stomach just days after being discharged from the hospital for treatment of pregnancy issues that resulted in a miscarriage. The frequency of the abuse suffered by Heather and May increased when both girls reached puberty. In response to Heather and May's pain, Fred would say, quote, I made you. I can do what I like with you. Ugh, gross. Was Anna Marie's pregnancy from Fred? Uh, you know what? I'm not. I'm not exactly well, sure. It's probably not certain, but mm, yuck. They probably had her working. Uh, you know the house as well. They did. Um, yeah. You know, selling right. her for sex to the tenants. Yeah. So who knows? On at least one occasion, Fred made it known he planned on getting one of his daughters pregnant, and would occasionally force all of his children to watch pornography with him. 
As Heather, May, and their younger brother Stephen were very close in age, the three decided that if their father asked either of the two girls to be alone in a room with him, they would only do so if at least one other sibling of the three were present to avoid either girl being raped. Both girls also developed a regimen where they would only shower or undress when their father was either out of the house or as one of the sisters stood guard at the door. Stephen was also informed by Fred that he would have to have sex with Rose by the age of 17. Oh my God. Just the trauma associated with living like this is just off the charts. For real? Mm. I bet it's fun watching porn with your parents. Some big cock, eh, mom? (laughs) 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 Fucking bizarre. Is that what you did, Dave, with your with the with your bestiality tape we talked about last week? Uh, What was it? Rover, Fido, and Uh, uh, fucking Trigger and Friends. Oh, okay. Rover, Trigger, Fido, and Friends. Wow, I I did not remember Rover and Fido. At least I didn't think I did. I just made up those names. Apparently, I actually did remember them. You know, there was one of the. one of the Rob Zombie movies that was not great. It was like I can't remember the name of it. I think it was one of the the witch ones. What was that? Is that Salem? Is that what it was Lords called? Lords of Salem. That, he did. Yeah, it was not good. Maybe it's that one that has like a very intense sex scene in the beginning. And it's extremely graphic. Um, so I don't remember I th- that. Maybe it's not that one, but it's one of his movies. I can't remember what the fuck it was called. It very but, well could be Salem. I watched it one time. Yeah. I was like, I'm never fucking watching this again. So. I have this thing where I always watch horror movies with Angie's mom, um, and we watched that, and that sex scene came up, and it was the most one of the most uncomfortable moments in my life because it's extremely graphic. So, yeah, when you say, "Can you imagine watching porn with your parents?" No, I cannot because I came pretty goddamn close with, with my mother-in-law, and it was very uncomfortable. I have so many fucking <laughs> questions right now, but I'm too terrified to ask any of them. So we'll just move on. Well, the next time you guys have date night, you should watch Last House on the Left or I Spit on Your Grave. Those are some good good scenes in them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I just sat there in complete silence. Like I could feel my my face getting like hot, like <laughs> very uncomfortable. I was like, what? I'm like, if I knew that this was what was going to happen in this movie. That's great. By the mid-1980s, Heather started biting her nails until they bled, heavily drinking, expressing severe nervousness whenever in the presence of males, nightmares, and unable to sit still. This distressful behavior led Fred and Rose to suspecting that Heather was a lesbian and also resulted in her becoming the recipient of verbal abuse from Fred that she was, quote, ugly and, quote, a bitch. This is going to be a common running theme with this, that they just assume that Heather is a lesbian and they hate her. They have a lot of uh, negative feelings towards her for that, but it, which doesn't make sense because Rose was sexually active with women too. Right. I, I, yeah, I, don't right. Under, I don't understand, but it becomes a running theme that they just really put her down based on this, mm. this claim that's, it's not even known if it's accurate or not. It's just something that they said mm. and verbally abused her about. One more layer here. Yeah. On the occasions Heather told Rose about the abuse, Rose would just laugh at her. Heather did complain to friends about the abuse she and her siblings suffered. The staff at the school, which Heather and her siblings attended, also 
are known to have expressed concern as to why Heather refused to take off her clothes in the girls' locker room. On one occasion, she was forced to take a shower, resulting in her peers and staff noting her arms, legs, and torso were covered in welts and bruises that were in various stages of healing. Heather attempted to excuse these injuries as having been caused by fights with her siblings, but confided in one close friend that they had been inflicted by her parents, adding that her mother considered her a, quote, little bitch who deserved her beatings. So again, the warning signs were there and people, you know, they were visible to everyone. Apparently they did not take appropriate action. Yeah. By the mid-1980s, rumors of Rose's sex life had reached several of the children's classmates, and although the West children had been instructed never to talk about the details of their home lives, Heather confided to her friends that many of these rumors were true. The father of one of these classmates was a friend of the West's. As such, word soon reached Fred and Rose that Heather had told the details of her home life, including details of her mother's sexual life to her classmates. So Fred now began to take Heather to and from school and fuck that person that is a friend of the West and just told Heather. After Heather left school in 1986, she applied for numerous jobs in an effort to to leave her parents' house. By June of the following year, she applied for a job as a chalet cleaner at a holiday camp in the seaside town of Torquay but she received notification that the application had been unsuccessful on June 18th. In response, she cried to her siblings, May and Stephen. That same evening, her whole family heard Heather crying out loud as she attempted to sleep, and according to May, she, quote, cried all the way through the night. The following morning on June 19th, Heather was, quote, back to her usual self, looking miserable, biting her nails, and sitting on the couch, bouncing back and forth as she sat as her siblings left the house to go to school. When the kids returned home, they were told Heather had left to accept the job she had previously been refused in Torquay. Although Rose told a neighbor that she and Heather had, quote, a hell of a row and that Heather had run away from home. Later to answer their children's questions about why Heather failed to contact or visit them, Fred and Rose claimed that Heather had ran off with a woman she was in love with. When May and Stephen suggested they report Heather's disappearance to police, Fred changed the story again, saying it wouldn't be smart to search for Heather as she was involved in credit card fraud. On one more occasion, Fred and Rose persuaded an unnamed acquaintance to fake a phone call from Heather to her parents. Jesus. So they got like 18 different stories out there now of what happened to Heather. Right. And we'll just throw 18 out there. We'll see what sticks. Go with that. Yeah. In the years following Heather's disappearance, Fred occasionally jokingly threatened the children that they would, quote, end up under the patio like Heather if they either misbehaved or talked about what was going on in the household. With Rose's approval, Fred later built a barbecue pit immediately opposite to where Heather had been buried and placed a wooden table literally right on top of where she was buried for the children of the family to sit whenever the West held family gatherings in their garden. Holy moly. That's just so fucked up and disturbing. Like, when I read that, like, it it just put, like, a pit in my stomach. Like, how the fuck do you do you do that? Yeah. Kill your daughter and then just barbecue. sit on top of her? Yeah. And then, like, food. you know, pre- pretend to have, like, these loving family dinners mm-hmm. while, you know, your daughter's dead under you. It's just, man. Do you think the kids believe them about, you know, the whole we'll bury you too? 
Probably, right? At least a little bit. Well, I think, and we get into that a little bit here in the later in the notes, right? Where like Fred's like laughed after saying it all the time. So like the one daughter just thought he was joking when he said it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like if you say it enough, like you know, you told us nine different stories of what happened to her. Now you're mm. making jokes that her body's in the you know yep. out back. It's just sad to think that we live amongst so many monsters, people who do shit like this. It's true. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, better H-E-L-P, dot com slash Necro. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In May of 1992, Fred asked his 13-year-old daughter, Louise, to bring some bottles to a room on the first floor of their home. Rose was not present in the home at the time. Shortly after, the girl's siblings heard her scream, quote, no, don't. Later, Fred returned downstairs. Louise was found by her siblings lying on the floor crying, saying that her father had raped and sodomized her, and at one stage partially strangled her. When Rose returned home, Louise told her mother that she had been raped by Fred, and Rose replied, quote, Oh, well, you were asking for it. Ugh. I, I don't even know what else to say about this story anymore. Didn't those siblings want to run in and help her when they heard her screaming, though? I'm sure they were all terrified, I would yeah. assume, I guess. 
Over the following weeks, Luis was raped three more times, with Rose personally witnessing one of these rapes before following her while she was distressed and bleeding into the bathroom and asking the child, quote, well, what did you expect? Fred also filmed one of these rapes. Several weeks later, Luis told a close friend what her father had done, and this friend told her mother what had happened on August 4th. In response, the friend's mother anonymously informed the police. Finally. Yeah, finally an adult steps up to the plate and is like, hey, maybe we should report some of this shit. On August 6, 1992, the police searched the West household on the pretext of searching for stolen property. Although numerous objects of sexual paraphernalia were found, including 99 pornographic videos, both homemade and commercial, were discovered, police did not find the video depicting the rape of Fred's daughter. Louise made a full statement describing her father's actions and the fact the sexual abuse had begun when she was 11 and that Rose had been well aware of it. All the children in the household were placed into foster care the following day and medical examinations confirmed evidence of physical and sexual abuse. With this evidence and being told about Fred's threat that if they talked, they would be buried under the patio like Heather, police began a full-scale investigation, eventually leading to Fred being charged with three counts of rape and one of buggery with Rose as an accomplice. Rose was also charged with child cruelty, inciting her husband to engage in sex with their daughter and obstructing the police. Buggery is anal for our American friends. Say that again? Buggery means anal. Anal sex, Mike. Anal sex. Got it. Fred and Rose were questioned as to the whereabouts of Heather, and although Fred claimed Heather was, quote, alive and well and supporting herself via prostitution, Rose initially claimed to have no knowledge of Heather's whereabouts or why she had left the home. She claimed on August 11th that she could, quote, now remember that her daughter had left home on her own due to Rose's concerns that other children might discover that Heather was possibly a lesbian. Rose then added she had also given Heather money as incentive to leave the house, before further claiming to have maintained sporadic telephone contact with Heather over the years. The following day, Rose was granted bail on condition she did not maintain contact with her children, her stepdaughter, or her husband prior to her upcoming trial. It's a lot of different story changes there, huh? Yeah, I think we're up to like five or six different yeah. uh, different stories now. And every possible way to degrade her daughter. Absolutely. As Fred awaited trial, he was held in Birmingham. After learning that her father had denied any wrongdoing, Anna Marie also contacted police to offer a full statement detailing her experiences as a child. In a statement given to Detective Constable Hazel Savage, Anna Marie recounted the extensive physical, mental, and sexual abuse she had suffered as a child at the hands of Fred and Rose before agreeing to testify against both parents at their upcoming trial. Anna Marie also added that for several years she had been unsuccessfully attempting to contact her mother Catherine and half-sisters Charmaine and Heather. Conversations with Anna Marie's husband Chris Davis revealed that Heather had confided in him how unhappy she was shortly before her disappearance and that she wanted to leave the home. Davis said that although Heather had not told him any details about sexual abuse, he had been concerned for her, so he offered to confront Fred and Rose, and Heather had stopped him saying, quote, For Christ's sake, don't, because they'll kill us both. In their efforts to gather further evidence, police and social services also spoke with May, who, having spoken with her 13-year-old sister, 
and learned Louise did not wish to see her father charged and initially denied she had suffered any sexual abuse. Police then focused their attention on tracking down Heather to corroborate Anna Marie's claims of sexual abuse, but inquiries into the Inland Revenue and the Social Security Department held no records of her being alive. This specific case against the Wests collapsed when Anna Marie and her 13-year-old half-sister, Louise, declined to testify at the court case on June 7, 1993, with Louise saying she wanted to return to her family and Anna Marie choosing to withdraw her statement because of her noticing how upset her younger siblings were and her fear of Rose's vindictiveness. Uh-oh. The, the case is sliding down the tubes again. Yeah, and what I I don't know what this I guess would this be a form of Stockholm syndrome or something with the the daughter Louise? Yeah, I, I guess something along those Just, lines. Right, wanting to go home and be back with everybody and back to I guess the normalness that she knows. Yeah, did they were they placed in foster homes and stuff during this period? So like you know the the devil we knew at home is better than you know what might happen to us out here. I don't yeah, know. right, right. Which is just just makes it more even, you know, sadder that their mental state at this point is, you know, just kind of that. Although the Wests were acquitted of all charges, all their younger children remained in foster care, but were permitted supervised visitations to 25 Cromwell Street. Despite Fred and Rose claiming to few relatives who were not already estranged by 1993 that the charges had been fabricated by police, Almost all of their remaining family members severed contact with them. Meanwhile, police continued investigating the disappearance of Heather, noting no records existed indicating that she was still alive. When Anna Marie was questioned as to the, quote, family joke regarding Heather being buried beneath the patio, she said that the time she heard Fred say it, he had immediately burst into laughter, leading her to not take him seriously. So, yeah, you know, they kind of thought of it as a joke, like... Oh, Heather's in the back. Like, it just means you're going to get punished. Not not a real thing, I guess. Mm, terrifying. In retracing Fred's history, police also discovered that although Catherine and Charmaine had disappeared in 1971, no missing persons report had ever been filed on either of them. Hazel Savage and her colleagues were convinced Heather was dead and that Fred's repeated statement to his children that her body was buried beneath the family patio was probably true. Oh, we're getting some traction now, perhaps. Maybe this uh, story is going to turn around here. Yeah, you know, um, this Hazel Savage, She uh, she's kind of like uh, Ray Biondi from the... Um, Super Cop. Yeah, the Richard Chase case. Mm-hmm. She did not give up on this, and mm-hmm. she con- continuously worked on this to just find that one thing Mm -hmm. that she could use against Fred and Rose West because she knew, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure everybody around knew, but she specifically, she pursued this case. Good for her. That's off. And her name's pretty awesome too. (laughs) That's pretty badass. (laughs) Hazel Savage. (laughs) (laughs) On February 23rd, 1994, Gloucester police successfully applied for a search warrant authorizing the search of 25 Cromwell Street to locate Heather's remains. When police showed this warrant to Rose on February 24th, she turned pale before becoming hysterical and shouting over her shoulder to her oldest son, Stephen, quote, get Fred. Yeah, I bet she did. (laughs) (laughs) 
Rose became contradictory in her informal questioning as to the circumstances surrounding Heather's disappearance. When reminded of these contradictions, she became aggressive, yelling at the officers, quote, I can't fucking remember. It's a bloody long time ago. What do you think I am? A bloody computer? I'm not going to lie. I get a little giddy thinking about this scene in my head, like all these cops showing up at her door <laughs> and like Rose, like finally realizing, oh, fuck, this is it. Like and just freaking out. Yep. It makes me a little bit happy. I'm sorry. It, Very it's happy. Just, uh, yeah. Fuck her. Fred had been at work, and upon hearing what was going on, he told Stephen he would be home immediately. When Fred arrived three hours later, he told the family he would voluntarily offer a witness statement to police as to Heather's whereabouts. Despite Fred's insistence in this statement that Heather had been, quote, alive and well, but now he was saying she was involved in a drug cartel, <laughs> and... <laughs> And the claims that him and Rose made about her being buried underneath the family patio were simply, quote, rubbish. But the police did not believe any of this, and they weren't going to stop the search. In response, Fred abruptly changed tactics, claiming they simply held a grudge against him due to his 1993 acquittal for the rape of his daughter. Yeah, that's what it was. I miss that word rubbish. People don't use that enough anymore. Rubbish. <laughs> Th throw it in a rubbish. My grandma used to say that all yeah, the time. It's a cool old person word. That's why I like someone it. Described this show, <laughs> someone described this show as rubbish. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> that evening with the search team having left the premises and a uniformed officer remaining to guard the excavation site, May and Stephen saw their parents talking in whispers as they repeatedly glanced towards the garden from their kitchen window. What do you think they were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> good on the police too for leaving uh an officer there to guard things because you know damn well they would have been out there with jackhammers <laughs> digging all that yeah. shit up overnight yeah, right <laughs> so how about this a, a police investigation that did very well yeah kudos to them hats off we salute the police we're the, just being fair hey we, we call it like we see it in some stories they're no not so good and some yeah. and other stories they're better and good for them in the early hours of the following morning, as his son Stephen was about to leave for work, Fred informed him, quote, Look, son, look after mom and sell the house. I've done something really bad. I want you to go to the papers and make as much money as you can. Mm. Shortly after, police returned to continue their search for Heather's body. Upon their arrival, Fred said that he wanted to be arrested for Heather's murder and taken to the police station to provide a full confession. He was then arrested and formally charged. Breaking the case. Here we go. Things are heating up. At 11.15 a.m. that morning, Fred formally admitted to police he had killed his daughter, but in an act of manslaughter. He confessed to strangling Heather in a fit of rage, then dismembering her body in the ground floor bathroom with a large serrated knife that he normally used for cutting slabs of frozen meat. Her remains had been stored in a garbage can as he waited for an opportunity to dig her grave. Fred was insistent that Rose had no knowledge of Heather's murder, claiming he had committed this murder as Rose was preoccupied with one of her clients, adding the fact that the search team had not found Heather's remains because they had been digging in the wrong section of his garden. He then volunteered to accompany police to the house to show the exact location of Heather's body. Well, yeah, it's convenient for him. He just wanted him to find the 114 other bodies buried back there. <laughs> Let me out. I'll show you exactly where this bit body is buried and nothing else. 
It's over here, governor. Don't be looking over in that corner of the garden. <laughs> exactly. It's smart. <laughs> the following day, police began digging the section of the garden where Fred said he had buried Heather's body. Shortly after 4 p.m., police found a human thigh bone sticking from a section of the garden. Fred had insisted that the police did not need to look in. So, of course, they're going to dig there. If he's like, no, don't dig over there. Dig over here. They're like, yeah, we're just going to dig everything. He's like, look, no, you dig in this little three-foot area that I'm showing you. Don't touch anything else, and we'll be fine. They're like, fuck you, Pally. Digging the section of the garden where Fred had indicated he had buried Heather's body, investigators discovered a mass of jumbled human remains. These dismembered remains were taken to the police headquarters for further examination, where they were determined to be those of a young woman with kneecaps, fingers, and toes missing. Several hours later, the body was identified from dental records as being that of Heather West. That evening, having been formally charged with Heather's murder and questioned as to why police had also discovered a third thigh bone, Fred confessed that there were two further sets of human remains in his garden and agreed to return to reveal the locations of both graves one of whom he named as Shirley Robinson and another victim he incorrectly described as being, quote, Shirley's mate, but either could not or would not elaborate as to her identity. Both sets of remains were discovered on February 28th, and Fred was charged with both murders two days later. Having discovered three sets of human remains in the garden, a decision was made to thoroughly search the entire property. Hey, who came up with that decision? That's a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I applaud that one. (laughs) Rose was placed into a safe house in the nearby town of Dursley as police continued their search. Informed of this, the formal interviews conducted by police that were lasting up to 16 hours a day and persistent questioning as to the whereabouts of his first wife, Catherine, and stepdaughter, Charmaine, Fred wrote the following note. Quote, I, Frederick West, authorize my solicitor, Howard Ogden, to advise Superintendent Bennett that I wish to admit a further approximately nine killings expressly Charmaine, Rena, Linda Gow, and others to be identified. Signed, F. West. Well, all righty. Did he have his attorney in there in, uh, during the questioning? I, I believe this, a solicitor is considered an attorney over there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, at least he did that right. <laughs> <laughs> Part of this is, you know, just him trying to cover for Rose, right? Like, he's just trying to take the fall for everything. Yeah, that's all this is. And I think we'll get into that in a little bit, but I want to sound smarter, so I'm saying it now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, Mike, that's a a good point there. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I just came up with that on my own. Hmm, Interesting. Fred calmly explained there were a further five bodies buried in his basement and a sixth body beneath the ground floor bathroom. Fred said most of these victims had been hitchhikers or girls he had murdered in the 1970s after picking them up at bus stops. Initially, Fred claimed these six victims had been killed when they had threatened to tell Rose of his infidelity with women and that he had taken their bodies to to the house to be abused, dismembered, and then buried in shallow graves. The dismemberment, Fred claimed, had made it easier to bury the remains in shallow graves, and he agreed to show exactly where he had buried each victim. Between March 5th and 8th, police found six more bodies of young females. 
Each victim had been extensively mutilated, and each body had evidence of being subjected to extreme sexual abuse prior to murder. Each set of remains was missing numerous bones, particularly kneecaps, fingers, and toes. When questioned, Fred refused to answer the reason or whereabouts of the bones missing from each set of remains, but later would admit the fingers and toes were sometimes cut off as a form of torture before killing a victim. Did they find those? And Wasn't there talk that he was keeping them as a keepsake sometimes? That's what a theory was, especially about the kneecaps, because he would never admit or give a reason why the kneecaps mm. were always missing. Weird. Um, yeah, they, they initially got the suspicion about the fingers being removed or, or something like that as torture because when they found Heather's remains, everything was jumbled up, but her, um, like the tips of her fingers, like the, uh, where the fingernails would be and stuff mm. were all in like a nice neat pile, which led them Ugh. to believe that her, like the tips of her fingers were cut off as like a torture type thing. Yikes. Despite Fred's claims that Rose had no knowledge of any of the murders, Investigators didn't believe him. Rose was arrested on April 20th, 1994, initially on crimes relating to the rape of an 11-year-old girl and the physical assault of an 8-year-old boy, both charges dating from the mid-1970s. The following day, she was refused bail and transferred to be held at a maximum security facility. Here, she was questioned about the murders, in particular those of her daughter Heather and Linda Gow, and on April 25th, she was formally charged with Linda's murder. Good. April 20th again. It's coming up a lot. April 25th. What? <laughs> uh, on uh, April early, 25th. Earlier. She was, Rose was arrested oh, on April gotcha. 20th. gotcha. I was like, wait, so. she was charged on April 25th. <laughs> <laughs> By May 6th, Fred and Rose were both charged with five counts of murder, with Rose simply replying, quote, I'm innocent, upon hearing each formal charge. And this was something that she would say throughout each of the 46 interviews investigators held with, with her prior to her trial. Basically, she would just sit there over and over again saying that she was innocent. As well as the murders of the victims that were found at 25 Cromwell Street, Fred had confessed to the murders of his first wife and stepdaughter and knowing the location of Anne McFall's remains, although he always denied killing her, which makes no sense. Yeah. Fred agreed to identify each burial location and then was transferred to Birmingham's HM prison where a strict suicide watch was called for his cell to be checked every 15 minutes. You know whose cell wasn't checked every 15 minutes? Jeffrey Epstein's. <laughs> oh, God. Get so many fucking requests for that. It's not happening. Never, never, never. People always want to know, like, what's one thing you don't, never want to cover? That. No? Okay. I, I I I agree with you. We we were really yeah. flirting with the the one rule on this show when we did uh, Ruby Ridge and that whole saga. And we pushed I feel like boundaries. Epstein would Epstein would go over that that line. Epstein and I think I would put nine eleven in that same category. Like I'm not touching that because if you do nine eleven, then you have to do like conspiracy theories, and then conspiracy theories get very political. Uh, and uh, I don't. I just don't think we need that. What's political, Mike? The fact that it was an inside job? <laughs> no, I would I would never go on record of saying anything like that. Interesting when I changed my mind about um that was requested that I didn't think that I would want to touch, but I was reading about it the other day. It was uh Columbine. I would actually like to do that eventually. Mm. I initially didn't want to do it, but I would actually like to do that. Hmm. I mean I guess it's it's 
I don't necessarily, I mean, it doesn't have to be a political thing. I guess, I guess like everything else, we just tell the story of it. Yeah. I mean, I think people would find it interesting. There's some interesting uh, stuff to debunk in that, mm -hmm. some myth yeah. surrounding that story. Yeah. And you could do that one without making it political, I guess. Well, I suppose. Could be a gun debate going on there. Well, that's what I'm saying. You just don't talk about a gun debate. You might hear some of my ideas about gun control if we do that episode. I don't know. It's possible. All right. So Columbine's officially canceled. It was on the list for 12 seconds. Just go watch uh, Bowling for Columbine. That'll take care of all the political debate and controversy. So Fred and Rose were brought before a magistrate's court in Gloucester on June 30th, 1994. He was charged with 11 murders and she was charged with nine. Immediately after the court appearance, Fred was rearrested on suspicion of murdering Anne McFall, whose body had been found on June 7th. And I, I read that the, the delay in this, like there had been some type of delay in identifying her remains. Yeah. So... They had found her a little, a couple weeks earlier, but they were, they were trying to get it identified. And like the day before this hearing, they identified her and her remains. So as soon as Fred walked out of this, they just arrested him all Good. over again. Well, it was almost 25 years ago, right? I mean, she was one of the earliest. Yeah. By this time, prison security had relaxed the suicide watch. And on January 1st, 1995, Fred West committed suicide in his cell by wrapping a rope he had constructed from a blanket and tags he had stolen from prison laundry bags around his neck, then binding this device to a door handle and a window seal, and then dropping to his knees. At the bottom of the suicide note in his cell was a drawing of a gravestone that said, quote, In loving memory, Fred West, Rose West, rest in peace where no shadow falls. In perfect peace, he waits for Rose, his wife. Oh, that's sweet. So even in his death, just no uh, sympathy, just loving his 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 wife that he committed all these atrocities with. Partner in crime. No, no fun so. to do it all by yourself, I guess. I think our friend Ariel Castro killed himself in that exact same way, didn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Our friend. <laughs> <laughs> our hometown. Not our friend, but a hometown I'm, hero. I'm possibly not, I'm a not going to call episode. him a hero, our hometown guy. Well, we call everybody a hometown hero. Hey, if you think no, Ariel so Castro is a hero, Mike, that's on you. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> uh, there's something about that that, I don't know, those guys that commit suicide like that. It's very irritating. Yeah, it's a little irritating. When they get away with doing that. Mm -hmm. Fred West, Ariel Castro, Israel Keys. Mm -hmm. Wow, spoiler alert on that one. Thanks. <laughs> God damn. Uh, it's just... I don't know. It's very irritating. Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next week from Necronomapod, dun -dun, the political debate you've all been waiting for. Dun -dun. I don't think anyone's waiting for that one. People, we get we get requests for that more often than you think. Hmm. Well, I stand corrected. Yeah. Probably I can count on more than one hand how many times it's been requested. Or at least brought to our attention, like, hey, would you ever do this? And usually the, uh, I think the answer from all of us is most likely not. Guys, I think you should do the show. I'll fly you down to Epstein's private island. We can fuck some bitches. <laughs> we learn all about them. That'd be awesome. Thank you, Mr. President. Appreciate it. I mean, uh, President-elect Biden thinking about having me as a secretary of pussy in the new administration. So we'll have to wait on that. 
Secretary of Pussy, that's me. <laughs> no one better. No one, only the best. Yeah, President Clinton was all about uh, Epstein's Island. He was here a couple of times, wasn't he? Yeah. He's, got the, he's got the 411 on that situation. I don't know. Please, before we move on with this fucking episode, <laughs> it's not happening. Before we move on with this story, I I, I will say that I, I do find it very very interesting how Jeffrey Epstein became so wealthy and so successful. That's an interesting story. How, but and if you want to learn more about it, go to too. Wikipedia because <laughs> you ain't getting it fucking here. <laughs> But all right, I'm done. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about it. <laughs> we'll see if uh, Giselle gets a pardon here in the next couple of weeks. I suspect she might. <laughs> all right, carry on, Ian. <laughs> so, so Mr. Rose. President's now run off. He's going to get a uh, Big Mac at McDonald's. It's a late night snack. I'm a secretary of pussy and Big Macs. <laughs> What's her name? Is, is it Giselle Ghislaine? How the fuck do you say her name? It's spelled so weird. Oh, did I say Giselle? I, was, I, was I think Tom, so. I was thinking about Tom Brady, maybe. <laughs> oh, hey, you and me both. <laughs> I'm always thinking about Tom. Ghislaine? Is it Ghislaine? I think that's yeah. right. It's like G-H-I-S-L-A-N-E, Ghislaine. That's where Mike used to live in college, on Ghislaine. <laughs> and everyone who visited me, they got a little treat from Ghislaine. <laughs> All right, Ian, carry on now. For, for real this time please please <laughs> this is where you start talking quick rose pleaded not guilty to 10 charges of murder the murder of charmaine west had been added to the original nine after fred's suicide and two counts of rape and indecent assault of young girls had been dropped with a view for later resubmission which i thought that was interesting in the uk that they can just slap it on uh slap fred's murders onto her it, it is interesting I wonder how that works exactly compared to how it works over here. Her trial at Winchester Crown Court began on October 3rd. In his opening statement, prosecutor Brian Levison portrayed Fred and Rose as sex-obsessed, sadistic murderers, saying, quote, Secrets more terrible than words can express. The victim's last moments on earth were as objects of the depravity of this woman and her husband. Oof. He pointed out that Fred was incarcerated when Charmaine West was killed, claimed that Fred and Rose had each learned from their mistake in allowing Carolyn Owens to live, and said that the gag on victim Teresa Siegenthaler had a, quote, feminine touch as it was a scarf tied in a bow. He promised to demonstrate Rose's controlling and sexually sadistic characteristics and her efforts to hide suspicion about the disappearance of their victims. Rose's counsel, Richard Ferguson, tried to discredit prosecution witnesses as either having financially exploited their connection to the case or being motivated by grudges. Carolyn Owens, though admitting receiving 20,000 pounds for her story, described her extreme survivor's guilt, saying, quote, I only want to get justice for the girls who didn't make it. I feel like it was my fault. Yeah, I bet. That's tough. Yeah, for real. Ferguson pointed out that Fred, before meeting Rose, had committed at least one murder similar to those at issue in the present trial, and that the prosecution's case was largely circumstantial. He stuck to the idea that Rose was unaware of the extent of Fred's sadism and urged the jury to not be blinded by her promiscuity and domineering manner. Against the advice of her counsel, Rose testified in court. 
When questioned as to the life at 25 Cromwell Street, Rose claimed she and Fred lived separate lives, which was inconsistent with earlier testimony of witnesses who had visited or lodged at their address. Like when the red light was on all day? Did they testify? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the fact that he they filmed a lot of this stuff. And Fred was the one that set up the video cameras and stuff. Are any of those films still around anywhere? Did they ever surface? I don't think so. Not that I know of. Red light. I love that there's an actual red light. <laughs> so great. It's just out of control. <laughs> Rose West, you don't have to turn on the red light. <laughs> I was going to try to do the high Eddie Murphy from 48 Hours, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> West. <laughs> in reference to her relationship with her oldest child rose admitted her relations with heather were strained before claiming to the court that her daughter was a lesbian who had physically and psychologically abused her siblings despite these allegations rose stated she had loved her daughter and had no knowledge of her murder further question as to the contradictory explanation she and fred had given to heather's disappearance Rose claimed these discrepancies had stemmed from telephone conversations she had had with Heather after she left the home. The final witness to testify at Rose's trial was Fred's appointed appropriate adult, Janet Leach, who the prosecution had called to testify and rebuttal to the tape recordings of Fred's confession, which had been played to the court, in which he had stressed Rose had, quote, known nothing at all about any of the murders. Leach testified that through this role, Fred had gradually begun to view her as a confidant and had confided in her that on the evening prior to his arrest, he and Rose formed a pact where he would take full responsibility for all the murders, many of which he had privately described to her as being, quote, some of Rose's mistakes. He had further said that Rose had murdered Charmaine while he had been incarcerated and that and had also murdered Shirley Robinson. Which I think was, we talked about last week, that was proved by the dates that uh, Fred was incarcerated, right? Right. I think, yeah. Yeah, it was basically like Fred came home from prison. She's like, oh, yeah, I accidentally killed your uh, yeah. your stepdaughter. Yeah. And Fred's like, yeah, whatever. Everyone just went and buried her body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dismembered her and buried her. Mm. Fred had also said that he dismembered the victims and Rose had participated in the mutilation and dismemberment of Shirley Robinson, having personally removed Shirley's unborn baby from her womb after death. In reference to the remaining eight murders for which Rose was charged, Leach testified that Fred had said Rose had, quote, played a major part in these murders. Yeah, I think I believe that. After seven weeks of evidence, the judge told the jury that circumstantial evidence can be sufficient for a finding of guilt, and that if two people take part in a murder, the law considers them equally guilty regardless of which one of them did it. On November 21st and 22nd, the jury returned unanimous guilty verdicts for all 10 murders. Calling her crimes, quote, appalling and depraved, the judge sentenced Rose to life in prison, stating that she should never be paroled. Initially, Rose was incarcerated at HMP Bronzefield. She was later transferred to HM Prison Low Newton, and then in 2019 tra transferred to HM Prison Newhall, where she continues to claim her innocence. Just stating over and over again, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. <laughs> Pretty much. Like a fucking robot. <laughs> On a loop, 24 hours a day. <laughs> yeah, right. 
And that is the story of Fred and Rose West. That's pretty vile, guys. Pretty, pretty vile. <laughs> yeah, n- not once did I think uh, I would have. I would enjoy writing about something like I don't know, John Ramsey or one of those. But uh, I would gladly write about one of those stories again than write this one. Right. Yeah, not uh, that, not good. That that whole writing about. Um, the the thirteen year old Luis mm-hmm. her rape really I don't know why it just really bugged me and then didn't like that. Well, just the all. way they treat it, like telling her like, oh, what'd you expect? Or this is what happens, you know. Well, everybody, all little girls get this, and don't talk about it. I, I just you know I can't wrap my head around it or put myself in that men mentality where you can fathom something like this. It's just unreal. Yeah. I was reading a couple of interviews. I found one in the, the Independent. In 1995, May, the second of the eight children told the BBC, quote, Dad used to say a father should break his daughters in, and the firstborn child of a daughter should be her father's. From 11 or 12, he used to touch us all the time. If we pushed him away, he would get angry and say we were lesbians. Yikes. Yeah, did May go on to do a bunch of documentaries, or at least some, because I, I, I've seen her name pop up with, like, you know, just searching for the story. Um, so I don't know. Maybe she just gave some interviews, and that's just what keeps coming up. But One of them wrote a book. Like she's, she, I'm sorry? One of them wrote a book. Yeah, uh, Anna Marie wrote a book. Ugh. Yeah, it looks as like as in, I'd love to support her, I don't think I want to read a book on this. Yeah, it sounds like May did, too, I'm reading right now. And an, another interesting fact, Stephen, the son... Uh, in 2002, when he was in his 30s, was jailed for nine months for having sex with a 14-year-old girl. So it might be genetic here. So, yeah, great. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to wrap this one up like that. All right. A, sh- a hot well, shower, man. That's what you need. Yeah. A hot shower. You're all welcome for uh, two weeks of that shitty story. Oof. But, you know. Let's do some fun stuff the rest of the year. Hmm. We have a fun one next week, mm-hmm. or at least I think it's fun. I don't know how many other people think it's fun, but I we think we probably it's shouldn't fun. give away too much, just because as much as all of us change our schedule, <laughs> we should uh, we should just uh, you know kayfabe for a little bit here. But it does look like we have a fun uh, fun rest of uh, twenty twenty, so we won't uh, we won't be Debbie Downers uh, much more after this one. Um, and we are also we might as well just fucking plug it while we're talking about it. We're going to have a um, a fan vote like we did last year for our first topic show of 2021. Um, so look out for that. Um, we'll be posting on our social medias the link for where you can vote. I think we're going to do it on our website. Is that correct? Uh, as of right now, that's the plan. Yeah, but we'll, we'll let you guys know. But anyways, we got four topics lined up. We'll give you guys a chance to vote. So you all will get a say in the first topic um, that we cover of 2021. So um, we'll have that poll up, you know, probably in the next uh, the next couple of weeks. So look out for that. But we'll we'll make you aware on the the socials. Anyways, that was kind of me jumping ahead. Uh, we do have a, a fun December plan, so you know it'll be a little bit more uh, light than this, so we can have some fun and you know get drunk and Dave and I can say inappropriate things and <laughs> not have it weigh on our conscience like it would if we did tonight. So right. I think we did an okay job of of keeping it uh, mild. Speaking of having your poll up, is Casey Anthony one of the selections that people can vote on for the fan well, poll? Well. I'm not going to give any spoilers, (laughs) but I will say that when she did not win last year, it was the most disappointed I've ever been in our listeners. (laughs) Clearly, they don't want to hear Dave and I jerk off for two hours. 
Um, no. Talk about ASMR. Come on. Fat, 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 Meanwhile, Ian just, you know, sighs out of disgust the entire time. It'd be perfect. Dave, any luck in trying to get her, talk to her team about coming in studio? I know. I put some some feelers out. I haven't heard anything back. What if we promised the entire month of January dedicated to her? I think we can make that happen. I'm just saying. Four parter. <laughs> if you all want to see Ian walk off this show and quit forever. <laughs> like, fuck this, I'm out of here. <laughs> Taking my talents elsewhere. Fat, 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 fat. Then then it's just Dave and I. And it's just that for two hours for, for fucking four weeks. Well, she's gonna um, be in studio too, so I mean we can make up the time somehow. Well, I, okay, but then, Dave, what does it sound like when she's just giving us both hand jobs? you know, <laughs> skiing, skiing at the same time? <laughs> fat, 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 fat. <laughs> oh, God. You could tell we've, Dave and I have held it in for two weeks and have not made jokes. <laughs> um, real quick, let's land the plane on this one then. Ian, you got any other thoughts on uh, Fred and Rosemary West? I think Rose was probably, I think she was the one behind a lot of this stuff. Hmm. I, I think a lot of this was her idea. I, I don't think Fred, you know, it, it didn't take much persuasion to get him to do anything because he was already, you know, raping his children and things like that. But I, I think the whole kidnapping of of women and underage girls and then killing them and stuff, I think a lot of that was, was Rose. Hmm. Interesting. Her idea. What makes you think that? Like, she just seemed any, to anything? be so much more vindictive with the sexual abuse stuff seem more into it almost yeah Mm. and like the recounts of people that were her clients that survived having sex with her (laughs) right (laughs) um well and plus women are the root of all evil if they weren't we'd still be living in the garden of eden so (laughs) there's that hey cheers to that But that's just my opinion. I just, yeah, it just kind of leans toward that she was more of the mastermind behind that the, next, that next level. Yeah, of kidnapping yeah. and yeah, torture they, and all that stuff. I could see that. Interesting take. But clearly, he was open to. It. I mean, the guy was fucking his mom when he was twelve and <laughs> tag teaming barnyard animals with his dad, right? So, yeah, I mean, there, I, I don't. He was know. no saint. He's no Saint <laughs> yeah, Frederick over right. here. <laughs> I don't think she had to really talk him into doing that. Yeah, she he, right. she probably I I would assume it would be like she brought it up and he was like, oh yeah, that oh, sounds that's good. A, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Saint Fre- <laughs> Frederick of bestiality. Yeah, that's interesting, Ian. Man, damn, that's a good uh, that's a good last take. Dave, you got anything else to close out this one? No, I'll go with Ian. I don't know. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, not a fun one. This is this might be uh, up in my top three now of uh most despised people that we've covered i don't know i'd have to go back and look but it's pretty bad not been, uh, pretty bad not pleasant yeah i mean it's just it's two weeks of just fucking raping and abusing and murdering children you know and interspersed with a little bit older teenagers and you know some adults but mm-hmm. good lord so okay uh we got some patreon new patron shout outs this week got a nice Long list. God damn. Um, thank you very much to Kimberly Dixon, Linda Nyberg, Mitch, Kaylee Hank, 
Rebecca Ramsey, Wendy Sanders, Joe Cassidy, Grace JJ, Brittany Boyer, Catherine Taub, Jan, Michelle Rodriguez, Hunter Essman, Mika Rodewald, Captain Marmalade, Marmalade, Zoe Stanton, BuffyBot25, Sarah Shirley, Diana Braun, Brandon Carpenter, Brennan Francis Thornhill, Matt, and E. Outslay. Oh, I'm sorry, a couple more. Holly Scholes, Hallie Richwine, Danielle Mason, and then I think one that we forgot uh, uh, a couple weeks back, so apologies to Stephanie Forster. Um, I think we just missed you in the transition there, but apologies. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for uh, signing up. We are at patreon.com slash necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Tree0789, Writer Sarah, and Renee Stokes. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. All right, Dave, you got anything else? Uh, nothing in the bad review corner this week. Maybe next week. And don't be writing fake bad that. reviews just to be highlighted in my in my new segment here. So I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> Please don't, because those iTunes reviews we take very seriously. I'll so. sniff you out if that's bullshit. So. Well, <laughs> if you want to write us a bad review, at least give us five stars and then just leave a bad <laughs> that's review. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we will take that. Leave us five stars, write whatever the fuck you want. Um, okay. One thing we don't do often on this show... Uh, I know both of you guys are very humble about it and uh, don't like to show off, but you both post, um, Ian, I know for sure you post some some good show stuff every now and then. And Dave, you always have some funny posts. You guys have Instagram accounts that we never plug. So I'm going to go ahead and plug those right now for you on your behalf. Dave underscore Namapod and Ian underscore Namapod. If you guys want to give them a, a follow on Instagram. Um, Dave always has some good posts, funny posts, and, uh, Ian's always, uh, posting some good stuff related to shows. So, um, and, and maybe they'll start bothering Ian about, uh, fucking, um, promised land instead of hitting us <laughs> up all the time. So, you know, Ian underscore now a pod on that one. <laughs> Anyways, Ian underscore now a pod, Dave underscore now a pod on Instagram. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Necronomapod. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you wish to get three bonus shows a month plus uh, some other fun stuff on there. And we still have merch available, lots of t-shirts, hoodies, long sleeves, um, tanks, zip-up sweaters or sweatshirts, uh, phone cases even. I don't know. We haven't talked about that in a while. Phone cases available too at amazon.com slash Necronomapod or go to amazon.com and search Necronomapod. You'll find a lot of our merch there. And then if you go to Necronomapod.com, Click on the merch tab. We have koozies and stickers available. I believe, Dave, we still have the Black Friday prices. It's still going. Time is running out, though. Sales while supplies last. Koozies and stickers. There's uh, sales going on at necronomapod.com. And then click on the merch tab. Um, as always, we appreciate uh, you guys listening. And uh, we're going to have a fun rest of uh, December. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>